Okay, please stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, now may you give us ears to hear with, eyes to see with, and hearts to believe with, that you might be glorified. Bless uh, the words of my mouth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Since it's the 4th of July, I sought to begin today's sermon with a quote by the famous and lovable American sportsman, Yogi Berra. Yogi was a professional athlete who participated in America's favorite pastime, baseball. He was a catcher for the New York Yankees during what has been called the golden era of baseball. He was famous for being a great athlete athlete, but he was even more famous for his statements called yogiisms, and they were uh, seemingly contradictory statements, uh, convoluted statements, much like Ringo Starr. Statements like, it looks like deja vu all over again. It ain't over until it's over. The future ain't what it used to be, and Baseball is 90% mental, and the other half is physical. But providentially, I didn't begin with a good old America yo American yogiism. Instead, I began with a quote by a Frenchman, by Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And you have to admit, it sounds like a yogiism, but it was said uh, about 100 years before Yogi Berra. And I say providentially because I thought to quote an American on the 4th of July, and I ended up quoting a Frenchie, a foreigner. So why do you think I say providence directed me to quote a Frenchman? I say this to remind us that we are a nation of immigrants, of foreigners, a nation made from every tribe and tongue from around the world. 
And this is similar to the church. The church is made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. But it's similar. It's not the same. America is not the church, and the church is not America. America is a melting pot of people and ideas that is built upon principles outlined in its constitution. The church is a living body made up of living stones, God's people, with Christ as its foundation and its living head. The church is founded upon Jesus and built by the triune God of the Bible. It is the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth with Jesus as its king. It is a kingdom that looks weak and despised in the world's eyes, but is truly beautiful and has true power and will last eternally. It, it is not to be conflated with any nation on earth, though people have tried since its beginning to deceive and mislead the people of God, to deceive and mislead the bride of Christ, the church. So this brings us to today's exhortation. And I call it an exhortation because uh, I'm not ordained, but uh, it says somewhere in our book of church order that elders can give exhortations. So uh, a rose is a rose by any other name. So this is an exhortation. And today's uh, today I'm beginning a series in the book of First John. And when I say beginning a series, it's like uh, plan B. Plan A is to have pulpit supply and pulpit supply that can, Lord willing, uh, serve the supper because we believe that we should have it weekly or as often as we meet. And uh, But in case we don't, uh, I'll have like a backup plan and it will be a series through First John, which I've been studying in school, which is very famous, okay? And uh, I, I, I assume that all of you are very familiar with it and very familiar with one of its big themes, which is love, all right? But as we, before we get into it, uh, I'd like to say that the more things change, the more they stay the same. And this theme is, is, is uh, true. It's a truism. Because we'll find out as we study at the book that things have changed tremendously since the first century, since the beginning of the church. But on the same hand, some things haven't changed. And so the book of 1 John is as relevant today as when John delivered it to the people who first heard it. So, as they say in real estate, um, location, location, location. When studying the Bible, it's context, context, context. So the context of 1 John is very pertinent. So I'll begin with this, okay? Uh, 1 John was written around 90 AD, after the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem, uh, which happened around 70 AD. And it is believed that it, uh, 1 John is written by the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, and 2nd and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Now, some later scholarship tries to uh, discredit John as the author of all those books, but yet uh, church history has, has, has said uh, from the very beginning that John is the author of those books. Uh, and, and there have been some disputes, yet it is remarkable how similar the language and uh, grammar is in all four of those books. 
and it leads one to the conclusion, really the, 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 the most logical conclusion, that John indeed is the author of those books. And so that's the perspective, that's the tradition of the church, and that's uh, my position and the church's position. And uh, as you know, John was an eyewitness to Jesus. He was one of the disciples. He was one of the sons of Zebedee. That's right. And so, what's that? The eagle. The eagle. Yeah. Oh, John. His yeah. The symbol for John is the eagle. That's right. And uh, yes. Only one that didn't die as a martyr. That's right. He lived into his nineties. Yeah. That's right. Uh, So John is writing to a. community of believers that John discipled believed to be in Ephesus. And Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. All right? And so these would have actually been uh, Roman converts, not, not Jewish converts. And so uh, what has happened is uh, over a period of 60 years, uh, false teachers have come in and created a schism. And... and uh, as you read the Bible, as you read uh, uh, a lot of the New Testament, you'll realize that a lot of the letters are, dish, are addressing issues at hand in various churches, and this is one of them. It's, it, we don't know exactly the heresy, but we can piece together by what he is saying what m- may have been what the teachers were teaching. And uh, uh, John, uh, the false teachers that uh, John is uh, addressing were known for, and, and we can deduce this from First John, they were known for bad Christology, meaning that they uh, were, were uh, teaching wrongly about who Jesus is. And uh, they taught that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Uh, it's kind of ironic. In the first century, uh, they didn't have any problem with Jesus' divinity, but they had a problem with Jesus being man and God. Whereas today, it's like, oh, he's just a man. But there's no way he was God. And, and uh, but yet, uh, heresies ebb and flow throughout the history throughout history, and so this book is very relevant relevant in teaching us proper Christology that God is that Jesus is true God and true man, that in Christ, God became flesh and dwelt among us, which the gospel affirms and First John affirms. So uh, also. Uh, because they're false teaching, it in turn led to immoral living, and uh, they had a wrong belief and attitude towards sin, which manifested itself in being unloving. These false teachers were mean dudes. They would kick people out of the church. They were just bad guys. And uh, all in the name of being Jesus' true disciples. And so, the book of First John was written... And uh, John pulls the apostle card on him, the trump card, which he wins, right? He's an apostle, all right? And so First John points its readers today, as it did in ancient times, to the inseparable truth that Jesus is who the New Testament says he is, and that apart from the New Testament, there is no true knowledge about Jesus Christ and his message. And as Second Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So John's circumstances sound similar today. The church is harassed by people from outside, people, uh, cultural elites trying to tell us what is true moralism, 
and heretics from within that rise up from the within. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. The message of 1 John. So the major themes of right belief about Jesus, a right attitude towards sin, and interpersonal relationships uh, characters by, characterized by love will be clear as we go through this book. And John's not structured like, uh, 1 John is not structured like Paul, who's very linear. John circles and repeats themes. And uh, uh, scholars have uh, debated on, on what the outline is, and they all differ on where to divide it. And certainly I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a scholar. Uh, I'm just a, a guy, um, a dad, and uh, a husband. Uh, anyway, but... The Word of God is quick and powerful. Alright, so, verse 1, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. Here, verse 1 begins with the very familiar phrase, or word, the beginning. Alright, and uh, this should remind you of uh, firstly, Genesis, right, in the beginning, and the Gospel of John, which we read, in the beginning was the Word. So here John, the Apostle John, is coming to them as the Apostle and saying, this is what we've heard from the beginning, all right? Uh, John establishes his apostleship and authority right away. Uh, and at the same time, um, and this is something that you wouldn't know unless uh, there were scholars. The Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is what a lot of the people used at that time, uses this phrase in the beginning a lot. And it uses it when it's referring to the Messiah, that he, at, they, they contrast him from the idols of the time into uh, showing that he is actually uh, God because unlike the idols of the time that, that had a beginning, they use that phrase in the, in the beginning to denote that he was before the beginning in the same manner. And also some intertestament books use that same phraseology to contrast God from idols. So there's also in this very beginning a, a warning against idolatry, which I think is on purpose because does anyone know what the very last verse of First John says, it's kind of a pop quiz. Away from idols. Yes. Yes. Little children, keep yourself from. And that's kind of bizarre. Like if you, if you're thinking like he goes through all this and at the very end he throws that in there, and so I think it's what is called termed an inclusio. It's bookends. Mm -hmm. He begins with, with, like the the Ten Commandments, worship of the true God, and then at the end he's warning, you know, keep away from idols. The Ten Commandments began with uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. right? And what's the Tenth Commandment? It's covetousness. And what does the New Testament tell us covetousness? It's idolatry. All right. Now that's kind of a stretch there, maybe, but then again, maybe not, because there's no such thing as a coincidence. I, I think it's on purpose. And uh, that's for free. All right. Um, so verse 1 here, he is establishing his apostleship and he's saying, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. He's saying that they were there. 
they saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, they touched Jesus. These were firsthand. When he says, it, it, you'll notice he says the plural, we have heard. It's not the royal plural. Uh, he's saying that he is one of the apostles. They heard. And he's establishing his apostleship, apostolic authority right away. And he's saying it was a full sensory, sensory experience. Emphasizing the physical aspect, but also the divine aspect. Because he says, concerning the word of life. And we know from his gospel, the word of life is the word incarnate. It's Jesus. So he's saying, we experienced Jesus firsthand and that we were actually commissioned by Jesus to proclaim the gospel verses 2 and 3 we see the incarnation here it says the life was manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we see the apostles bearing witness to the Incarnation and their commission to proclaim the Great Commission. Um, you hear often the term deeds, not creeds. And, and you know, People need to see, uh, they want to see, you know, they want to see love. Christians need to be quiet, they just need to show love. And um, Christians do need to show love, they really do. But, but don't be deceived by, by that, that's a lie. They need to hear the gospel. We're, people are saved by a message, and the message is words. There's that famous uh, quote by, uh, you, someone probably know it, I should have looked it up, but it just came to me. So it's dangerous when you just go off the fly where it says, uh, <laughs> I preach the gospel every day and sometimes I use words. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what that means. You know, I, I know what they're saying. But it's not true. It's both. It's both. We do need to declare the gospel with words. But if we truly believe the gospel message, it transforms our lives. We cannot be the same. And just as the apostles proclaim the gospel, uh, we're, we're taught to proclaim the gospel. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. Even in this modern age, the message is the same today. So we need to remember to trust in the Bible and that what it says about who Jesus is, uh, is that He is true God and true man. And that there's no other name by which a man must be saved. It's in Him that we are saved. Verse 3, we see the goal uh, of the Apostle here. It says here, That which we have seen and we have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. So we see here, it's John's desire for people to be saved. In order to have fellowship with God and with believers, you have to be saved. Like, 
man cannot have fellowship apart from being born again. And so John's desire here is for people to be truly saved. And then verse 4, we see here John's pastoral care. He says, And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. John is, is, is addressing a people that he cares deeply for. Later on we'll see he addresses them as dear children, little children. So he looks at this flock as his family, as his children, and as a tender father, he addresses them. So, and so sincerely, he desires for their joy. And in return, it's a mutual joy. And that only comes through knowing God, through Jesus Christ. He said in verse uh, 3, prior to that, he said, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship there, many of you know it, it's koinonia in the Greek. And that denotes something much deeper than coffee and donuts uh, and, and uh, you know, light chat. It denotes a deep fellowship, a deep knowing of one another. Nobody knows us like God. But there's a mysterious uh, thing that happens to Christians. The Spirit of God fills us. And that enables us to know God better and to know one another better. We have a relationship that is mysterious. We mysteriously commune with the saints. You know, uh, we, we don't understand it all, but yet the Spirit is in us, you know, and the Spirit is in all of us. Uh, you, can, you can take it too far, and, and I don't want to go beyond what the biblical text says, but yet the, the Bible does tell us that. That there's some aspect of fellowship that you don't get anywhere else. There's counterfeits. You know, you might feel it if you have a few too many wines and you're around people, but that's a counterfeit fellowship. This fellowship is real. And that's why we meet on Sundays to worship together. When we're together, there's something unique that happens. It doesn't happen when we're alone with our Bible. You may be blessed reading your Bible and the Spirit will speak to you through the Word, but there's something unique that happens when we gather together and we sit and hear the preaching of the Word and we partake in the Lord's Supper together. God builds us up in our faith in a way that doesn't happen apart from that. And so that's why it's important we gather every Sunday. And technology is failing me right now. See, it hates, it hates my guts. Um, I, I, I act like it's a person. It's not. All right. So we need to remember and trust in the Bible that what is written in it is true truth. And everlasting joy is found only in knowing and being known by Jesus. In believing the Gospel story. That Jesus truly became incarnate to live in our behalf, to personally, uh, perfectly, and perpetually keep the law of God because we couldn't. We're like Adam, we fail. Israel failed. Adam failed. We failed. David failed. Everybody fails until the Son of Man came, until Jesus came 
and fulfilled the law perfectly. So he, he merited righteousness for us, and then on the cross he paid the debt that we owed God, and that's our, our life, our blood. And his resurrection shows that God has accepted his sacrifice. He has accepted us in his son's name, meaning that we are now seen as righteous as his son is righteous. And by believing that, that makes us Christian. And so the more things change, the more they stay the same. But is that really true? Yes and no. Not exactly, right? Some things do change. Okay? And that true and lasting change is found only in Jesus Christ. He truly changes us. He changed me. He changes you. I know that. Right? In fact, He's changing the world. And He's doing this by building His kingdom here on earth. He's doing it through the church, His body. He does it through the message about Himself, the Gospel. The good news about He became a man to do what man failed to do. Obey God personally, perfectly, and perpetually. He died the death and received the punishment that man merited, and He gave His merited perfection to those who believe this message, that they might have fellowship with the triune God and each other for, forever. And so I conclude with a real Yogi Berra quote. If you don't know where you're going, you might not get there. Do you know where you're going? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that we are now sons and daughters of you. Thank you, Jesus for loving us and leaving the Father's side to redeem us. Thank You, Spirit, for making us born again. Now may we live in love for Your glory, Father. May we participate and rejoice in building Your kingdom. And may we rejoice in our freedom that we have in Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.